Sometimes you've heard me say, I, I sort of have a love-hate relationship with preaching. I, I have a love-hate relationship with a lot of things that are associated with the church. And maybe other than talking about the church, this past week I witnessed something that I have a love-hate relationship with. I love our country. But at times, I'm disappointed. Maybe hate is a strong word, but sometimes I hate what I see happening. I love democracy. I love the First Amendment. I love that we are about justice and truth, and I love the way our government is established. But sometimes I hate what I see. Sometimes we call it politics. I think it's more than politics. I think it is where our country, where our world, where our church is today. We form tribes. Tribes of people that we're not very close with, but we hold a, a common viewpoint. Or we're part of their party or their persuasion. And when we have something that occurs, we take sides and we go to one tribe or another. And again, this, this happens in the church. We take sides, and then suddenly it becomes hate and division and divide and jealousy and words that just are very hard even to speak or to talk about that you wouldn't even dare say almost to your worst enemy, but you, you say them to others just because they're in another tribe. You see, the church sometimes can be a little bit like that. We have a love relationship in the church, not just the local church, but the church in general. We sit in our tribes. Sometimes they're generational tribes. Sometimes they're traditional tribes. Sometimes they're denominational tribes. Sometimes it's about the preference that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. We, we have our preference on how we want to do church. And we form these tribes and then we start throwing stones and we start accusing and then we, we, we start getting violent in our words. And that isn't what Jesus had in mind when he thought about the church. The early church was known for their love for one another. And so, yes, I have a love-hate relationship with preaching because I, I, I love to speak and to teach the Word of God, but I also hate it because I know that it requires you guys to listen and to respond, and I can't control that. Actually, I, I have a love-hate relationship with being a pastor like many pastors. You know, Monday morning is the day that most pastors consider resigning from the church. And the reason they do that is not because they felt like they, they gave a bad message. It's just emotionally and spiritually draining because you want the church to be the church that God intended the church to be. But sometimes the church isn't what the church is supposed to be. In this series, I've been trying to teach us sort of this love-hate relationship, but it's a little bit different. It's to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And we need to sit with one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to come alongside each other. I, I love this picture of sit with me. 
And if, if you look at this picture, uh, I think it's the guy in the hat next to the guy on the left side of the epic, and it looks like everybody's attention is on him as he is sharing. But with every picture, the, the, the analogy breaks down as this guy is more interested, I think, in a couple of girls sitting over there. But it's sort of a great picture of the church because it's not in a building. It's about relationships. And it's about talking and it's about listening. And another way this picture maybe breaks down is it's just not generational enough for me. It's not diverse enough for me. But it's a picture of what it means to be the church. What Jesus had in mind when Jesus was saying when two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So this morning we want to talk about what it means to break bread together and hopefully I will move us beyond our traditional view of what we think breaking bread is all about. Or the emotional side of what we think breaking bread is all about. So I'm going to sort of start and end with maybe what I hate in our perspective what breaking bread is all about. And then in the middle, talk about what I love about what breaking bread is all about. So let's talk a little bit about breaking bread. You see, for me as a pastor and being in ministry basically <laughs> my whole adult life, this is a, something that we need to really understand. You see, breaking bread is more than coffee and donuts before church or after church. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about breaking bread together. We're not talking about funeral dinners or a meals ministry where we drop off meals for those who are going through a tough time. It's something more than that. It's more than just eating together. Some of you may be saying, Mark, you know, I've tried this concept that you've talked about that you need to sit with people and, and go to breakfast or do coffee or go to lunch or go to dinner. It, but we need to see something. Breaking bread is more than just eating together. That's just a, something that we do. I was sharing with uh, the elders this week that I, I saw a study by the American Heart Association and it was talking about families and the healthiest thing they can do is not just change their diet, but they really, really need to eat together. You see, Sometimes when we talk about eating together, we're maybe even around the table, but no one's talking. Everybody's got their phones out and they're disconnected or they're on some social media device. Just go into a restaurant. <laughs> maybe go, if you go to a restaurant after church and just notice, you know, people, their heads are down, not because they're even eating yet. As they wait for their food, they're in some device and they're looking and before I throw stones, yes, I'm guilty of it myself at times. But we need to understand something. Breaking bread is even more than the Lord's Supper. As we will see in just a little bit, uh, obviously the Lord's Supper is an ancient practice. In fact, millions of people across the world probably today are celebrating the Lord's Supper. But as we open up the scriptures this morning, I hope that you will see that breaking bread is more than just the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Yes, it includes the Lord's Supper, but it includes something more than that. If you're 
curious of what I'm talking about, I want to give you a passage, and it's Acts chapter 2. So I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I also would encourage you, if you have a program on the back of it, I think, it's an open spot, and I want you to, to write down, I think I'm going to talk about six or seven words, and I want you to write those words down because we need to understand what Scripture is talking about when it says, let us break bread together, let us eat together, let us do something that is radical and important. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 37, and if you've never read uh, the book of Acts before, if you've never read Acts chapter 2, I'd encourage you, it's just sort of fascinating. Uh, The disciples who remained true to Jesus Christ, and there was probably about 40 of them, they were waiting on the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, they're They're speaking in all these different languages, which were known languages, and everybody was amazed that the Spirit was bringing unity to people that weren't unified. They were from different regions and areas and nationalities, and the Holy Spirit was doing what he said he was going to do. He was going to make us one. And Peter gets up, and he gives a message, a powerful message about who Jesus Christ is. And that Jesus Christ is even greater than David. And that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and King. And then notice verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? How how do we take this truth that Jesus Christ is the resurrected king that we just sung about? What's supposed to happen? And Peter said to them, repent. Literally change your mind about who Christ is, but change your mind about your traditions. Change your mind about your attitudes and your perspectives. Change your mind about the lifestyle that you are living. There's going to need to be a change from disunity to unity from division to oneness repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit I just need to say that there's a lot to this passage and we're going to need to look at it later to look at Acts 2 38 but for the sake of the purpose I'm going to continue on it says for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them or to encourage them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Which is again, it's important to know every time you see the word save, it doesn't mean just going to heaven or what we talk about. I got saved at church or I came to the altar and I got saved or I said a prayer and I got saved which none of that really saves you anyways. It's trusting in Jesus Christ is what saves you. But save you from this crooked generation, from, we could say it today, our our world is corrupt. Our world is crooked. And what's going to save us? And notice what he says. He's explaining what happened with those who repented. So in verse 41, it says, those who received the word, Literally, those who believed in who Jesus Christ was were baptized. 
And again, you need to ask yourself, were they physically baptized with water or spiritually baptized? That's another question for another day. And it says, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And here's the heart of what we're going to talk about. And sometimes as a pastor, I think I should preach on this every Sunday for 52 weeks. Because this is what it's all about. It's sort of like when you watch a football game today, if you're going to watch the football, I know some of us have boycotted football or don't even like to talk about football, but uh, if you watch it, you know, they used to say they got to stop the run. The defense needs to stop the run. Defense wins championships. They don't talk about that anymore, do they? They don't talk about defense needs to win. It's, It's about how do you throw the ball and how many touchdowns and how many yards and the passing offense, but they understand there's certain principles that it takes to win the football game. Likewise, there's certain principles that it takes and practices to win in the church. So notice verse 42, and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, literally to be helpful there, that they were devoting themselves to the teaching of Jesus. They had moved on from the Old Testament to what Jesus Christ was teaching them about what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And it says, in the fellowship, which is literally, again, it's not coffee and donuts. It's about a partnership. It's about sharing life together. And it says, to the breaking of bread, which again, just hold your thoughts that have always thought about that as the Lord's Supper, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple. I love how the Jewish Bible refers to this. They they had a singleness of purpose. They, they, They were focused on going to the temple together, which... It's not like what you're thinking is happening right now. The temple was literally probably the temple courts. It was outside of the temple. It was where they congregated and fellowshiped and evangelized. And they talked about Jesus. And they did some sacrifices. And they were being the church. But it says that they also were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's what I want us to understand in this series. What I've been trying to communicate. And I'm going to use the concept of breaking bread to understand what it means for us to sit with one another. And to reach out to others both those who are close to us and those who maybe we're not so close to. Here's the first truth that we need to understand. Breaking bread together is about belonging. Notice again in 241 and 242. In the Greek Bible, and I got multiple Greek Bibles, they also divide this text. Now again, 
There were no divisions. That was put in later. But it's very interesting in the Greek Bible, the division of this text does not go 241 and then 42 through 47. It goes 214, which is Peter's sermon, to 242. You see, there's always been a debate, especially lately. What comes first? Does believing in Christ come first and then you belong to the church? Or do you need to belong to the church before you can believe? And people love to talk. You know, I'm a believer but not a belonger. Or I'm a belonger and I'm not a believer. Here's what we need to understand. Breaking bread together, though, is about belonging. And so if verse 42 is actually going with verse 41, what it's saying is your individual repentance, you're turning your life around. You're you're going to say, I'm going to walk with Christ. You can't say, well, I love Christ, but I don't love the church. You can't have that. You got to understand that Christ and the church go together. Your devotion to the fellowship, to the church goes together. We can't have this concept where we say we love Jesus, but we don't love the church. Breaking bread is about belonging. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about loneliness. And I've heard this not just a couple of weeks ago, but I've heard this since I've been in the ministry. People say that some of the loneliest places for them is their physical home. So they're married and they feel lonely. But other people say one of the places they feel all alone is the church. You see, that should never be. The concept of the Jerusalem church was that we belong to one another, that their belonging is so important. It's interesting, maybe in a psychology class or some class on sociology, or maybe you just are aware of this, But there was a guy named Maslow who had this hierarchy of needs. You know, the number one foundational need that we all need is food and water and oxygen. So we we got physical needs. And then we have needs for safety. We, we, We need a home to stay in and we need finances. We need all those things. So the physical and the safety, which makes sense. But you know what number three is? Number three is that we all have the need to belong. We all have the need to belong to something that is greater and more powerful than us. If you sort of just casually read the internet or you casually read articles or if you are aware of what's happening in our world today, people are always talking about loneliness and friendship. We're going to talk about that, but belonging. And I came across this article just this week, and it's talking about the the workplace and employees, and employees more than ever. They're they're not concerned so much about their paycheck, though that's important. They're, they're, They're concerned about finding a place to belong, because the average person is going to work like 90,000 hours in their lifetime, and they just don't want to be at work. They want a place that they can connect and belong. It's very interesting. So they start this article this way. It says they span the entire globe, yet they still cheer, yell, cry, and celebrate at the same time. They gather together to share stories, experiences, community, meals, or breaking bread, and often pints. 
That happens in the church sometimes too. It says they swear, or that they wear, and they may swear, but they wear the same jerseys with a sense of unity that allows them to quickly identify one another as part of the same tribe. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about yet, but I'm talking about a club. It's the Manchester United Club. Now, I don't know, I, I guess I've sort of been living under a rock. Has anybody ever heard of the Manchester United Club? I see a couple of hands. Come on. The soccer people, you got to know this, right? Listen to this. In addition to its nearly 100 million followers on social media, the club has an estimated 659 million fans worldwide. To put that into perspective, that means that on match day, nearly one-tenth of the world's population is polling for the Red Devils, not Jesus Christ, but the Red Devils, I guess, to win. That, that just blows me away, but that shows how hungry people are wanting to belong to something that is greater than them. And then it's interesting, this article talks about what it means sort of to belong. It says belongingness is the human emotional need to be an accepted member of a group, highlighted by a relationship that is greater than a simple acquaintance of familiarity. This is what I've been trying to help us to understand as a church. It's not about just showing up on Sunday morning and saying hi and I hope the Chiefs win or Manchester United wins or it's a hot day, it's a cold day, how's the crops? How? That's not the church, it's about belonging. It points to our need to truly be known and understood. And then they quote uh, a book that I've been reading called Braving the Wilderness. And in that, Brene Brown gives a definition of belonging. She says it's the intimate, or innate, sorry, innate human desire to be a part of something that is larger than us. Purpose allows you to connect that individual need with an organizational need in a unique and compelling way. My friends, that's Acts chapter 2. The people were repenting and they were changing their lives and they were saying, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. But it's not just about me. It's not just about my relationship with Jesus Christ and whether Christ makes me feel good or Christ makes me feel better. It's about the community now. It's about the church. It's about finding our purpose in something that is greater than us. The last time I checked, everything that I have is all going to pass away. All my possessions, all, all the things I'm spending time with. But you know what's going to last for an eternity? It's all God's people. All those people who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who you're sitting with, or who will eventually be sitting with you. That is the sense of belonging, and that should give us purpose and meaning and significance and security. So breaking bread is more than coffee and donuts. It's all about belonging. Here's the second truth we need to understand. Breaking bread is about sharing. 
If you look at this passage and you just spend time studying it, you will notice that these people were sharing, not just sharing their possessions, but they were sharing their lives, their emotions. Some commentators say they're sharing their their attitudes and their perspectives and their priorities. They're sharing their purpose together. They're sharing life. It's very interesting, specifically in verse 46, where it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, and I mentioned that that was sharing a common purpose together by the Jerusalem Bible, And it says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, my translation says they received food. Some of your translations may say sharing their food. Sharing and receiving went hand in hand. You see, breaking of the bread is not something you just come to and you participate in, though that's important, we'll look at that. But breaking the bread is about sharing life together, sharing food together, sharing your home together, sharing your possessions. It's it's a shared attitude. It's a shared perspective. Now, it's interesting that as you look at Scripture here in Acts 2.42, it's about they were doing it together. The word together in the Greek is just a a, a small little word. Three letters long, and basically it means with. And so when you want to say you're doing something together, you take whatever the word is and you put this small little Greek word in front of it, and so you're doing it together. You're doing it with one another. This is what sharing is all about. It's about sharing, not a meal together, but sharing our lives together. That's why I love that picture of them sitting around talking to one another, being present with one another, and sharing. Now we can tell from Scripture they shared Christ together, they shared the church together, they shared teaching together, but hopefully you're seeing more than they just sharing their possessions together. They were sharing their emotions and their spirituality They were sharing their families with one another. They were sharing in such a way that God was honored and glorified. So breaking bread together is all about belonging and it's all about sharing. Here's the third truth I just love. Breaking bread is about hospitality. It's all about hospitality. It's very interesting. When you take in 246, when you take the word breaking bread together the greek has a great way of doing it so on one side it says breaking and on the other side it says bread and in the middle it says their homes this is why hopefully you're you're about ready to see i believe it's much more than the lord's supper it's about eating together in homes i want to look at three passages so if you can keep your finger here in acts chapter two or Go to it on your phone. We need to see these three passages. Turn first to Romans 12. Romans 12. And we're going to look at Romans 12, 13. You got to see this. The early church 
understood something, that Christ came, and we talked about this last week, Christ was sitting with sinners and tax collectors. Christ had a relationship with those on the outside, but he also had a relationship with those on the inside. He sat with Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples. In Acts chapter 12, we're trying to figure out what the church is all about. And it's about service in 3 through 8. And then notice chapter 12, verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Literally, take off the mask. Stop being a hypocrite is what the, the text says. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in your zeal. Fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. And then my life verse Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Literally be devoted, the same word in Acts 2.42. But notice this, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. Literally that word for hospitality is love strangers. You see, I believe our church as well as many churches, we have a barrier. And one of the barriers is we are a family church, and I hope I'm not going to be stepping on too many toes, but you need to ask yourself, when is the last time you've broke bread with somebody that just isn't a family member? You see, Scripture is exhorting us to reach out and to love people, not even just strangers, but people that are different than us. You see, for the church to be the church, we're going to have to change some of our patterns. And the last time I checked, you know what that word change means? It means repent. We not only repent individually, but we repent as a congregation. And so we need to love one another, and we need to show hospitality, and we need to do good to all people. And again, that's not talking about taking up our Sunday morning offering. It's talking about, again, sharing with one another, and especially people in the church who are hurting. Look at another verse, Hebrews chapter 13. I don't know why we don't talk about this more often in the church, but it's a very powerful passage. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Notice verse 1. Hebrews 13, verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. Same thing, Romans 12, where they get it from Acts chapter 2. Continue steadfast, literally be devoted to brotherly love. Verse 2, do not neglect. Even in the early church, they, they broke away from this. But he's saying, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now get this, persecution was happening. You might invite someone into your house who is an enemy, someone who's actually out to get you, to, to throw you to the lion's den, to persecute you, to make fun of you, to ridicule you, to destroy you. But it says, do not continue to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some of you have entertained angels, yet you're unaware of. And again, there's a lot of messages that could be spoken on that, but breaking bread together is all about hospitality. 1 Peter 4, and you can look at that later, 1 Peter 4 says that we need to, to do hospitable acts without grumbling and complaining about it. We need to be hospitable, and we need to 
again, serve one another in such a way that the grace of God comes out of us and towards one another. And again, I don't know what your hurdle is, but we need to break through that hurdle so that we can actually be breaking bread together and opening up our homes and showing hospitality to one another. Sit with me. And breaking bread together is about generosity. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, where it says that they broke bread in their homes, you know it says they did it with generous hearts. This whole passage is dripping with generosity. If you look up generosity just in a simple dictionary, it just means to, to be willing to give beyond expectation. To, to give more than what you're expected is, is to be generous. And I, I talk often about our give first and that we need to be generous. And I hope you've heard me. It's not just about finances, but it's about being generous with our time and our talents and our treasure, our finances and our touch. If you look at Acts chapter 2 and you just walk away and say, you know what, it looks a little fishy there. It looks a little bit like communism. What is going on? It is not communism. They were volunteering. They were being generous to meet needs. And if you look at the passage clearly, it wasn't that they gave everything to the church. They still had their homes. They still had their food. They still had their livelihood. What it meant was they had generous hearts. It's sort of like, since we're talking about bread, you know, there's some places I just love to eat. You know, Texas Roadhouse, you just love the bread. Olive Garden, I love the breadsticks, you know. Love bread, going to Buca, getting the bread, you know, and putting all the fancy stuff on it. Red Lobster, I love the bread. But I get a little ticked off when they're not generous with the bread, right? <laughs> and then I get really ticked off when the people I'm sitting with are hoarding that. Okay? It shows my attitude, right? Maybe I'm not generous. But what Scripture is constantly teaching us is that a generous spirit is an open-handed. And when it comes to your, your finances, some of you are closed-fisted. When it comes to your home or your cars, you're closed-fisted. When, when it comes to your possessions or your savings, you're closed-fisted. Sometimes when it comes to your food or your time or your touch or your availability, you're closed-fisted. And that's not what breaking bread about it. It's, a, it's about generous hearts. It's about generosity. Breaking bread is about friendship. It's about friendship. If you look at this text, you will notice that, again, it repeats over and over again. Starting in verse um, 44, it says, all who believed were together. And then it talks about that togetherness ran into gladness and joy and everybody enjoying the favor of all the people. If, if you look up the the Near East, which is where the Jerusalem church was, if you look at the old days, the Near East definition of breaking bread, you know what you're going to find? It's going to say it means friendship. It means extending friendship to someone. It's very interesting. If you look up 
in an urban dictionary what breaking bread means, in most cases you'll find one of the first definitions is it means friendship. Again, it's not just about going to Branding Iron or Buffalo Wild Wings together or having a small group in your home or having people over to eat. It's about using food as an opportunity to extend friendship. It's about sitting with someone and talking to them and encouraging them and being with them. You see, we need friends. Men need friends. Women need friends. Pastors need friends. Church leaders need friends. People Christians need friends. Those outside the church need friends. Those who are grieving need friends. Those who are rejoicing need friends. Those who are weeping need friends. We need each other. Here's the last thing I want us to see that breaking bread together is about gladness. Breaking bread together is about joy and gladness. If you did the 40-day joy adventure, one of the themes is your joy blesses others. Well, what this passage is saying is your breaking bread together blesses others with joy. You have more joy, you have more gladness when you start to learn to enjoy people. It's very interesting, Brene Brown in her book on braving the wilderness, the one that talked and gave the definition of belonging, she says that in order for belonging to occur, you need to reach out to those you hate because it's hard to hate people that you get close to you see this passage says a lot about prayer we didn't even talk about prayer but it's hard to hate someone that you're praying for in fact try it sometime try praying for somebody you hate as you're praying for them that hate's going to go but if you're praying for someone you're going to be loving them And if you're loving someone, there's just going to be gladness in their life and there's going to be gladness in your life because that is the way God has wired us. So here's what we need to see to make this happen. Breaking bread is more about steadfast devotion. In Acts 2.42, it says they were devoted, dedicated, Literally, steadfast devotion. One of the reasons the church has trouble being the church is because we're no longer devoted. We're we're, we're devoted to ourselves or our ambitions or our dreams or our hopes or those sort of things, but we're not devoted to the church. We're not devoted to this. We're not committed to it. We're not sold out. That's why it's more about doing life together. That's what breaking bread literally means in this passage. They were doing life together. Not in isolation, but they were doing it together. Breaking bread is about being all in. I don't know what all in means for you, but I I, I think of playing poker. I used to play poker when I was in high school, but it's like I'm going all in. And you, you, you know... When you feel you have a good hand, you're going to go all in. You feel like you can win unless you're desperate. You go all in. And some of you, maybe you're desperate this morning. But we need to be all in on the church. That's what they were in Acts 2, 42 through 47. They were all in. They were all in with their service and their commitment and their generosity. They were all in. And here's what I want us to see. It's about something greater. 
about something better. You know, it's not just about our individual, again, repentance and changing our lives and having a happy marriage and happy children. The church is about something greater. It's what Jesus Christ himself is building. And it's better than anything else. But it's not better if it's not a priority. Jerry Bridges says we, we can't get to breaking bread. We can't get to true community. We can't get to true fellowship until we're totally devoted to the fellowship.